before. I passed two prior drug tests before that, and it's not failed three drug tests, only two drug tests, two different occasions. And um, on the GW1516, we still, I paid $1,000 to get my products tested because I know for a fact it's attaining something. And that's why I originally came out with the first video saying, there's no way I've done this because I've not taken any ingredient or anything to, you know, give me kind of any advantage, you know. So that kind of really hindered me, hindered my mental state, like where the hell this thing came from. And I was the one that pushed for the third drug test that came out with it, with the positive for the AGH and APO. I was the one that I want to get, I want to get tested. I want to get to this. Can that be real? So when the first, when the next test that came out, the third one, I sat back and I said, what the hell is going on? But then going back to figure out when I was guided to a stem cell shot with my elbow, which has growth factors in the NEPO in, in that one time for the elbow, that's what caused the red flag to go up. None of these things are from muscle gain, and that's the kind of miseducation that you know the fans and some people have. They don't understand the miscon the concept of what I took and what was taken from my injury. You know, there's tons of medical research on what I've taken that you guys can go online. That EPO is used not just for conditioning or cardio, which is not what it was taken for. An AGH from my elbow for you to get any kind of su sustainable gain from AGH, you're doing it for six months straight like this. What what was taken from my elbow injury? It's zero point. 0.02% chance of me gaining any effect of an anabolic gain or something that would help me fight night. Literally. So people say steroid, steroid, nothing was a steroid. Nothing was anabolic. Because I'm trying to say other fighters in the past took an anabolic steroid. That's not what I took it. Sometimes. Particular comments from Eddie did you find most hypocritical? Because, you know, many fighters on his roster that he worked with have been caught with PDs before. And the whole thing about my whole story was. There's research behind my whole thing. A lot of people don't understand that when I went, when the whole thing originally came out, I was the one that asked to be tested because I know I was a clean guy. I'm always doing the right, proper thing. I've never had any problem before with that kind of stuff. So for him to come out and he always talks to fire. Like I never talked to Eddie a day since the whole news came out until I seen when he came to New York. He didn't call me one time. He didn't call nobody in my team and ask a question. He didn't do anything. He cut all communication off. So it's okay. It is what it is. I mean, that's the kind of way he want to act. It's, it's, it is what it is. That's the problem that I understand. And now I'm talking with Vada and, and figuring out what's the best way of going and doing, doing these things the proper way because what you read on these these components or compounds is not exactly what it is. These components are meant to help strengthen of, 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 of joints, help rebuilding of muscle tissue, and that's what it was in the shot that I took. And even when I went to Victor Conti, who was the president of Snack Fitness, and he ran my blood tests and my and, and um, my um, my drug my blood tests and all my levels, he says your body's nowhere near of anything of a bodybuilder or somebody that's cheating. I said because. Well, we're here again. Um, you can go back as far as you want to any episode of a podcast that I've ever talked about before. And you'll know that where we are right now is no surprise. Another heavyweight boxer has failed a drugs test. I think in this case, Darrell Miller probably just can't afford the, the legal fees required to just bombard 
the testers with legal letters until they submit. So he's going to have to go through the painful process of not only the public humiliation, but the inevitable ban and the inevitable stain on his record. Uh, I'm making that three or four on his record now, which is a real shame. So on Saturday, news started to filter out that Jerome Millard failed the test and he was due to fight July 9th. And, you know, I wasn't really surprised. Surprised that it would be that close, but not surprised that he'd be taking something. And he failed for GW1516, which to those who have bought it online will know it as Endurable or Cardarine. I think it's Cardarine or Cardanine. Never really know the two. And so people are familiar with it. This is a substance that really came out of the cycling world. And it's different to what we standardly think about when we think about doping because it's not an anabolic steroid. What it is, is a, it's like a modulator of your metabolism. So it basically impacts how your body processes fat. But what's really interesting about GW1516, I'm just going to call it endurable for the purposes of the discussion, but it's basically the same thing. What's really interesting about it was its original purpose was to treat things like obesity. It was also meant to treat things like diabetes. So anything where your, your metabolism isn't firing the way it should be, GW1516 was meant to be the answer to that. So then you ask yourself, if that's what it was there for, why can't we buy it in the shops? And the simple answer was, in trials on animals, it was found to cause cancer. So they stopped it. Didn't try it on human beings quite sensibly too, because... If it's going to cause cancer in mice, do you really want to carry that risk into humans? So that's essentially what stopped it coming to market. But it's become this research chemical because you don't stop something being a research chemical because it's fatal to humans. You just don't put it into human beings. So you're essentially looking at something that's not legal to have in anything that you would take, whether you're taking protein powder, whether, whatever it is you are taking, it's not you're not supposed to have Endurable in there because it's not fit for human consumption. It's a research chemical. So already, whatever Jerome Miller tries to tell you about contamination, your first question is, you already failed for this. So you should be checking your supplements for any sign of contamination and so forth. Secondly, there's no logical reason why you would have this in your system. There is none. In the early days of of Endurable, I remember the talk was it would give you the benefits of doing an hour of cardio while sat on your sofa. That, that's really what it was sold for. And so athletes said, well, what if I am actually doing the cardio? Will it then turbocharge the benefits I receive from doing that cardio? The data, which is only anecdotal because you can't run human studies, right? But it seems to have that effect. And so you can understand why a guy that walks around at 21, 22 stone might want to take a substance like Endurable. You know, especially someone with a high punch output. You can understand why they'd want to do that. And it's a... We want to call it a substitute for EPO because EPO is quite a messy drug to have in your system in terms of being tested and also for the, the risk of your blood thickening up because obviously it increases your, your red blood cell count which increases the viscosity of your blood, puts strain on the heart. GW1516 or Endurable as it's called doesn't seem to have the same effect. So it seems to just make the body 
more efficient overall. So as a system, it's just a lot more effective. I just want to take a step back, actually, and I don't think, especially in the scientific community, and we know from the COVID thing that scientists are generally quite gung-ho about testing things. And there was a quote in The New Scientist that described the effects of GW1516 on its animal subjects. And it's in simple terms, it just it basically said, at all levels, it induced cancer in the subjects. Now, the bit that should worry people is at all levels. And this is liver cancer, bladder cancer. But basically, it, it messes your system up which isn't a surprise because the human body is a delicately balanced organism. It, essentially, what we are is a, a community of cells that live in harmony, more or less, most of the time. You introduce something that the body's not used to, that the body doesn't produce, you knock that subtle balance out, and it may give you short-term benefits in terms of metabolism, but there are also these side effects that may come down the line. So that's why GlaxoSmithKline, or GSK, is known. That's why they pulled it from you know, human trials or even just releasing it to the human public. But it's still a substance that once you know the the chemical structure of it can be readily and easily you know, reconstituted and recreated. But there's also something to be said for boxing, just jumping on a bandwagon when it comes to doping and not really understanding the underlying science behind what they take. So if you look at Endurable, from what I can understand and from what I've been able to pick up, what it does is it regulates certain genes in the human body. And so it, prom it promotes the development of your slow twitch fibers. Yeah. And this is particularly interesting for... Uh, this is going to get controversial, but we'll go with it anyway. People of West African origin, so Nigerian, Ghanaian, and so forth, of origin who tend to have disproportionately high levels of fast-twitch fibers. And so that generally means explosive power, speed, yada, 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 do really well. Sustaining that over a long period of time, not so much so because you don't have the type 2s. And the type 2s are also really good for fat metabolism. So this actually creates more type 2s. Now, will that slow you down in the ring? I don't necessarily know, but it does fundamentally change the nature of the fighter you become. So... There's a trade-off here. Yes, you get better stamina and stuff, but you also get more slow twitch fibers. And that's not necessarily what you want when you're in a power sport. So there's a delicate balancing act there. So, you know, in terms of taking stuff, I can understand why cyclists will take it, but boxers, less so. But then it seems to be a cleaner alternative to EPO from a blood perspective and from a heart perspective. But it seems to be an absolute car crash in terms of the cancer risk. But to give Jarrell Miller a kicking is unfair because there are rugby players at a professional level. There are crossfitters at a professional level. There are all kinds of athletes. I wouldn't be surprised if top-level footballers are all on the same stuff. I'm, they're all on this endurable. And another substance called ICA, A-I-C-A-R, which works synergistically with endurable. So you actually, you get the the metabolism regulation from the endurable, and then you get the increased synthesis of metabolites to produce energy from the, from the ICAR. And so you actually just supercharge your 
your cardio essentially. And so this is where the sport's headed. And that's why I'm not as angry about the Jarrell Miller situation as people in boxing seem to be. And if you know me well, you'll know that I've expected this for a long time. I just think we're beginning to see what's really there in boxing. Like, Jarrell Miller is not an exception. And do not fall into the trap of believing that he is the bad guy here. He's just the guy that got caught. So the doping thing's also strange because he was due to fight a guy called, I think it's Jerry Forrest on July 9th. And Jerry Forrest is a guy, he's in his early 30s, so he's not a young, hungry prospect. He carries three defeats on his record. On paper, this is the guy that Jerome Miller should just run over, doping or no doping. So it's surprising that he'd fail for this. I'm really surprised that he'd fail for this. And I know there'll be the argument that says he might have just been done for something that was already in his system. The whole principle of as you burn your fat reserves, you start to release substances that were stored in your fat cells. And there's an argument for that. John Jones used that one successfully. I just think with Jerome Miller's record, it's all a bit messy. And as you heard in the intro, he seems to be really good at believing his own delusion. That's the bit that always worries me about fighters. Now, that delusion is great because it gets you in the ring and it gets you able to box for 12 rounds. But it has you believing things that don't make sense to your standard person on the street. And so, for me, do I think Jerome Miller took stuff? Absolutely. Do I think he only took the stuff he failed for last year and this year? Absolutely not. Do I think he's the only one doing it? Jesus, nowhere near, nowhere near. Here's what I'll explain to you. Every boxer you meet is deluded. That's what makes them special. That's what makes them unique. That's why they give us the fights they give us. They will lie brazenly in your face and tell you they're clean and go home and inject some growth hormone. You won't even bother them. The end justifies the means. And they'll hit you with all sorts of justifications. You don't understand the profession we're in, the life we live, yada, 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 yada. That's what they'll do. But most of them are dirty. They're taking something or other. No one's got the courage to be honest and say, I think so-and-so is doping. Because then it becomes personal. So let's not make it personal. Let's keep it very general. Of the people you watch on your pay-per-view level fights... I'd say 8 out of 10 are taking something. It might be a lower proportion in the lower weight classes because you can do a lot more when you're, when you're smaller. You can go for more runs and the punches aren't as heavy. You're better able to resist them. There are all sorts of things that you know, mean you don't necessarily have to dope as a smaller guy, but that doesn't mean they don't. It just means that you could see why they wouldn't. As a heavyweight, I can't see how you get I don't see how you get top 10 without taking something, whether it's abusing prescription meds, whether it's anabolic steroids, whether it's metabolism modulators, stimulants. I do not care what it is. It's in your medicine cabinet. And so when you, when you look around and you go, why has this guy got a strength and conditioning coach? Why has he got this entourage around him? Someone in that group is the person that orders the steroids. So the boxer's name is never associated. You never get the Evan Fields situation where Evander Holyfield's name and address sort of got linked to doping. You don't get that. And so 
when you see these strength and conditioning coaches, because I see young boxers telling me they need a strength and conditioning coach, and they have no idea why professional boxers at the top level have strength and conditioning coaches. They have no idea. When have you ever seen Floyd do a kettlebell swing? When have you ever seen Floyd Mayweather do a Turkish getup? When have you seen Floyd Mayweather deadlift? He doesn't. So why does Floyd need a strength and conditioning guy? He doesn't. Why does he have one around him? Ask yourself. Same with Pacquiao. Pacquiao, these guys don't do complicated exercises. Yet they've got strength and conditioning guys around them. Ask yourself why. So I don't blame Jerome Miller. I blame boxing fans. It's the boxing fans who are accountable for this because how many people have you let back in the sport? How many people in your top 10 of all time passed the test of will clean their whole career? In your top 10, Roy Jones? No. James Toney? No. Evander Holyfield? No. Mike Tyson? He's admitted he took the stuff. No. So we're now whittling this down to a very small pool of people where you can say, yeah, they were clean. Look at Shane Mosley, Jesus. Look at what Delahoy became afterwards. So now you start to wonder, who was ever clean? So when you judge Jarrell Miller, remember, most of your heroes have either failed a drugs test or had heavy suspicions over them. Jarrell Miller is not the bad guy in this. Because Jarrell Miller always said he was the villain. And he said, look, this is just the role I have to play. Other people portrayed themselves as golden boys. They portrayed themselves as these role models to kids while they were doing things they shouldn't be doing. But this is boxing fans' fault. Because boxing's become so tribal, you refuse to criticize your guy, but you're quick to jump on Jarrell Miller. Now think about it from this perspective. With all of that stuff that Jarrell Miller has in his system, for all of his reputation for a punch output, he's top three for punches thrown and connected. I think he's got like a 33% efficiency rate. So who are the other two who are probably above him? Because you'd only say top three if Miller was third. If he was second, you would have said top two. And if he was first, you would have said he was the top guy. So who are the other two guys who are out punching Jerome Miller? And why are we not looking at them going, well, if he's had to take that much, what are you guys on? No one ever asked questions when Vladimir was doing 50 to 55 punches around. But we're asking questions when Jarrell's doing 63. Because we're willing to believe Vlad was clean his whole career. I don't even know why, but we're willing to believe that. It's ignorance, really, because deep down we know that can't be true. And all these other boxers you look to and you say, right, you know, they must be clean. The only person we can say has had nothing land anywhere near him that we have seen is Anthony Joshua right now. If on the balance of evidence you have to pick someone who you say is clean, it has to be Anthony Joshua. Now think about what that actually means. The guy that everyone in boxing suspects is doping was saying is the cleanest guy. So what are these other guys doing? So everyone needs to get off their high horse when it comes to Jarrell Miller. I don't want to hear anyone saying that dumb shit like we need to ban him for life. That's not going to stop the drug problem. We don't need to ban Jerome Miller for life. Let him box. He's doing nothing that everyone else isn't doing. 
he just gets caught. Now, why he gets caught, I have no idea. You'd have thought he'd have beefed up his, his capabilities. But he gets caught. Other people use lawyers. Other people go missing and get depression. There's all sorts of ways people have avoided accountability for their tests. Some go off and just have their kids while they're banned. All sorts of things that heavyweights have done. These aren't secrets. I remember being young and hearing that Evander Holyfield was training with Lee Haney and wondering, hmm, why? Even as a kid, I thought, why? And now we know why. But you can never tell people Evander Holyfield was a, was a doper. They won't believe you. That's why you can't have conversations with most boxing fans. They don't understand enough to have the conversation. They just read what they read in boxing scene when Keith Eidek or Mike Coppinger jump in on stuff and that's their opinion for the day. They've done no research into this. We all need to leave Jerome Miller alone because he's not the problem in the sport. The, the guys who failed the drugs test are not the problem in the sport. The real problem in the sport Promoters, broadcasters. Now, I'll go back to the interview Jerome Miller gave, I think it was a few months ago, where they were talking about the, how the AJ fight came together. I'll summarize it as this. Basically, Jerome Miller was saying, I want to have the fight, but I, I need to have surgery on my elbow. And then he was told, no, take it or leave it. Which... When you're putting fighters under that kind of pressure, what you're basically saying is, find a shortcut to be ready for June. That's what you're doing. You're creating an environment where you're saying to someone, you have the chance to make between five and seven million pounds. And all that's standing between you and that are a few injections of a substance that will get you over the line. I don't believe there's anyone listening to this that has the moral fortitude to say, I wouldn't do it. And if you dare say you are, you're a liar. I'll call you a liar to your face. Because if someone said to me, take three growth hormone injections a week and you can fight for five million quid, I'd do that in a heartbeat. The end justifies the means. That's boxing 101. The end justifies the means. If I can make you take a fight on two weeks notice, the end justifies the means. And so Jerome Miller understood that. He understood that he was, under, he was under the thumb of the broadcaster and the promoter, and maybe that's why he took the, the drugs that he did or the substances that he did. But let's not discount also the psychological issue, because why is a man walking around at 315 pounds, fighting at about 315 as well, if he's not insecure? If he doesn't believe in his skills, he doesn't believe in his power, he doesn't believe in his strength. So he's like, I have to be bigger than the other guy. I have to throw more punches than the other guy to even stand a chance. If you're that insecure to begin with, if you have that much doubt in your own skill and your own ability, you might look for external help. Because doping is doping, but doping is not always doping. And what I mean by that is, some people dope because they want to do more. That's true. Some people just dope because they want to do more. Some people dope because they need to recover more. Maybe it could even be abusing painkillers, abusing growth hormone. They need to recover more because the aches and pains are killing them. 
Some people, I think, dope because they're that insecure. That they just want to be bigger, stronger, faster in the boxing ring. Because they don't trust their skills and they don't trust their innate ability. That's the more sinister part. If, if a world-class fighter who had proved themselves in the amateurs and so on and so forth was doping later in their career to prolong their career, I'm less mad about that. And the reason I'm less mad about that is you've already proved you can do this. I'm more disappointed if you've been doing it from day one and that's the only way you can compete. That's the disappointing bit. And I think that's where we are with Jarrell Miller. I'm not going to criticize him for doping, but I am going to criticize him for not believing in his own ability. Because when you get to that top level, it's that belief. I remember, I think there's a quote from Anthony Joshua where he, he was in the seventh round with Vladimir Klitschko. And he said to Vlad, if you let me get out of this round, I'm going to knock you out. And I was like, that's the mindset of a real fighter. That's the mindset of a real champion. I don't think Jerome Miller has that in him. That's why he looks for these crutches and these proxies, and that's why he needs to cry and bleat to the media when he does get caught. Because deep down, he may love the money. I don't think he loves the sport. He may be our Michael Grant. Jerome Miller may just be the guy that loves the money but doesn't love the sport and would rather be doing something else. I don't know. What I can say is... Him fading a drugs test is no surprise to me. Him fading a drugs test is par for the course. And the reaction from the public and like guys like Lou DiBella, because I, well, I understand why Lou's upset because, you know, that's, that's their chance to get the upset. But Lou DiBella's been in the sport long enough and he's worked around people who have doped for long enough that, you know, he's been quiet on this subject for too long because he looks after his own interest. The end justifies the means. Lou DiBella knows who's doing what. Because if he doesn't, who does? So to hear people criticizing Gerald Miller, for me, just feels disingenuous when we will watch people who have failed drugs tests participate in fights and we will praise them and we will tell you they're the best in the world, maybe the greatest of all time. Like I said, I don't really respect what boxing fans think because... I don't think boxing fans really believe what they think either. It's just whatever looks good on Twitter, and they just get it out there. I'd like to see Jerome Miller back. Hopefully, I just give him a six-month ban, and we get to see him before the end of the year. And let the boxing circus continue, man. We're a freak show. And deep down, we love the fact that we're a freak show. Take care, guys. Uh, enjoy this. As always, please leave a review on iTunes. Please share the content. I think we're doing well for likes, retweets, but we can always do more. Yeah, as always, follow Twitter at Highfield Boxing, Instagram at Highfield Boxing. Yummy, know I mean? let's let's build something here. And I, I keep pushing this this idea because I don't think there's an outlet that really delivers truth consistently. Yeah, like if you look at the Miller thing, Crawler is quick to jump on the bandwagon because he did that that barbershop, whatever it is. But what does Crawler really know about all of this? Like he's been involved in boxing and he's feigning ignorance. I'm like, man. We're outsiders and we know how dirty it is. So what have you been doing? This is where you come to to get the reality. This is, this is boxing strip bare. And when you strip it bare, you realize 
everyone's out there for themselves. And in everyone's eye, the end justifies the list.